so much for the opportunity to be in your house today. Father, thank you for this incredible love we have taken a look at this past month, and we need years, centuries, decades, and eternity to even begin to understand and express how wonderful and deep it is. Father, thank you that we know that our Redeemer lives. And may that fact that we know be played out in our day-by-day lives. May it not be words on Sunday, may it be actions in every day of our life. Now, Father, I pray and ask your precious Holy Spirit to take this room, and I pray he'll take this atmosphere, and that he will be free, not in any way bound or quenched, that he'll be free to speak to our hearts today. Father, I want to ask that you will help us to remember all that we hear today about your love. And again, may we be motivated, may we be driven um, by this incredible love that you have for us. If there's someone here today, and they've never yet to discover you, Jesus, they may even wonder why they're here this morning. Someone may invite them for lunch, maybe for another reason, their home, whatever. But God, speak to them today. Because, Father, you said no one comes to the Son unless you draw them. And so we're asking that you draw men, women, and children unto yourself. Have your way. We present this to yourself. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. We're glad that you're back today at Dorsville. Thank you so much for coming. And we're finishing up a series that we have entitled Love Story. And again, I thank Brent. He's the one who came up with that song. I said, I need a love song and, you know, a spiritual love song. And that's what he came up with. And it's just been a real inspiration. A love that never runs out, never gives up, never fails. That's the kind of love that God has for us. And hopefully we're going to see today the importance of that love. Why is it so important that we understand and grasp and live out that love? I was reading a devotion by a pastor named Stephen Lee. Stephen Lee. Don't know who he is. I came up with the thought, the idea of spiritual amnesia. So I googled that thought and in this devotion... Um, popped up, and it really impacted me. And I had, in fact, been reading the book, uh, you know, talking about the exodus of the children of, of Israel this week in my daily Bible time. And that's what he started out by saying. He said, you know, every time I read the story of the exodus, I'm just blown away. I'm just blown away. And here's his thought. He said, you know, these people had been in captivity for 400 years. And generation after generation, as time passed from the time of Joseph... You know, God became more and more a distant memory to them. And, and they, they went from being a few family members to a nation of slaves. And God shows up. God shows up and, and, and speaks through a man named Moses. And the bottom line is this. I love his words. He says, God tossed the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, around like a toddler with a rag doll. And that's exactly what he did. Before God was done with Egypt, Pharaoh and his nation was in shambles. And that's the power of God. So the children of Israel leave Egypt. They go out into the wilderness. They cross the Red Sea. And again, that was even mentioned this morning um, in one of the songs about how we walk across on dry ground. The children of Israel see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And they get out in the wilderness and far more complain than praise. They get out in the wilderness 
And you would think after, after what they did to Pharaoh, what God had done to Pharaoh, after they saw the Red Sea parted, you would think they could never complain and grumble, and yet they became a people that did exactly that. And it didn't take long. It did not take long. It wasn't long before they were saying, there's no water, Moses. Hey, Moses, where's the beef? We're tired of this manna. Uh, how long is this going to take anyway? And by the way, who made you the boss? And they grumbled and they complained. And Pastor Lee, that's when he ties in this idea, this concept of spiritual amnesia. He said, how did that happen? How do you go from seeing God destroy the most powerful man on the earth and the most powerful nation, piecemeal? How do you witness and experience the party of the Red Sea? How do you experience the, the giving of food every day, this thing called manna? How do you experience that and all of a sudden shift into complaining and griping and grumbling about there's not this and there's not that? And he said it's because of spiritual amnesia. Now this part I'd like to read to you. Here's what he says. This spiritual amnesia, forgetting God's deliverance and provision, is a deadly disease. The people of Israel on the hills of unthinkable miracles, I like that, with their pockets full of Egyptian jewelry, I like that, grumble at their less than five-star accommodations in the desert. This wasn't just headache-induced grumbling or low blood sugar complaining. This was faithlessness. It is the heart that says, I know better than God if only he would follow my plan. And he goes on and writes these words. Grumbling and whining and thanklessness are not ultimately the heart's response to circumstances, but to God. Their complaining wasn't rooted in their scenery, but their heart. But their heart. That's the danger of spiritual amnesia. And I think God knows that. In fact, I think Jesus knew that. Because have you ever thought how amazing it is that after the three years of ministry... He and all these, I mean, the, the guys got to see all these incredible miracles. You know, fingers grow back, dead people get up, blind men can see, deaf ears are open, 5,000 people are fed with a few fish and a few loaves. It was incredible. But Jesus said, They're going to forget. They're going to forget. And what does he do? He gets them in an upper room and he sits down at a table with them. He takes a loaf of bread and he says, now guys, you know, this represents what's going to happen. You don't understand it yet, you will. This, rep this represents what's going to happen to me. They're going to take my body and they're going to break it. And so just as, as I break this bread, it symbolizes my broken body. Now, now listen, every time, every time you eat this bread in the future, and it was unleavened, it was without, without yeast. Every time you eat this unleavened bread in the future, I want you to remember me. Because he knew they were going to forget. He knew it. And then he, he took a, a, a chalice and he filled it full of, of wine, of, of grape juice, but it was wine. And he, and he, he says, now, now listen, this, this represents what's going to happen on the cross. I, I'm going to spread, shed my blood on this Roman cross. And listen, I know you're going to forget. So here's what I want you to do. 
Every time in the future, I want you to do this. Every time you drink this wine, like we do tonight, I want you to remember me. Because he knew they were going to forget. Isn't it amazing that, that of, the, of the two ordinances of the church, one being baptism and the other thing called communion or Lord's Supper, however name you want to use, of, of those things, one of them is designed to help us not get spiritual amnesia because he knows the danger of forgetting. So on February the 1st, I got up and I did the Baptist Hour and I tried to do it live. If I'm in town, it's not Christmas or something. And so I got up and I used the scripture that I'm going to use tonight. And it really spoke to my heart. And so it happened to be Wednesday. So I just, that night, I said, guys, I can tell you, if you listen to the Baptist Hour, you're in for a double dose. And I began teaching it again. And, and that night I said, you know, this is so impactful. This has to be shared on a Sunday morning. And so the scripture you're going to hear started out on the Baptist Hour and it ended up at on Wednesday night. Now it ends up with you today because it really helps us. Judy, I so appreciate the job you did on Annie Armstrong. Because, you know, often, you know, if I were to say, who is Annie Armstrong? A whole bunch of you guys would go, I don't know. She laid us the laundry down, down across town? I don't know. You know, somebody once said about Lottie Moon, you know, who's this Lottie Moon and when do we, when do we get her paid for? You know, we forget our heritage. And today I want to spend our time talking about how important it is that we remember who we are. We remember who we are as individuals in Christ, but who we are as the body of Christ corporately and together. Okay? So that's what we want to do today. We want to just remember today who we are and our heritage and what God's vision is and why we exist at 1300 South Poplar Street. We begin in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at chapter uh, 5 and verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 14. And these are such, they're only just a few words, but they really are so impactful. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ, this love that... Christ has for us this love that God... And by the way, that's the power of what Robin's saying. When, when you say, I know my Redeemer lives, it's driven by that love. The love of Christ compels us. And that word love and compels, the word compels means to drive or to control. To drive or control. Now, focus back on me. I want you to hear what I'm fixing to say. What ultimately drives us, controls us. What ultimately drives us, controls us. In other words, if, if you are driven in this world by the need to acquire wealth, then that will control your life. You will do everything you can to amass wealth. If you have to work overtime at the sake of your family, you will do that. If you have to step on someone on a corporate ladder, going up the ladder to, to obtain wealth, you will do that. Whatever drives us controls us. Students, if, if, your, if your desire is to be popular at high school, to be the captain of this or the head of that, then you will, if that drives you, 
then it will control you and your actions will all be, even if it means not being BFF with someone or being BFF with someone that you really don't like, it will control you. Whatever drives us controls us. And on May the 10th, and I think I've got that date right, I hope I do. On May the 10th, 1910, 117 years ago, some folks got together, 5, 10, 12 people got together. And they decided that Dorsville needed a church. The discussion went something like this. You know, there is not a church in this town that has a decent youth program. We need to start a church in Dorisville and get us a whiz-bang youth director so we'll have the best youth program in town. Do you believe that's what they said? No, no. Actually, they said this. We, there's not a church in town where we like the worship. It's too loud, it's too soft, it's too long, it's too this, it's too that. We need to start a church in Dorisville, and the worship is going to be exactly what we want it to be. Well, do you believe that? No? Well, how about this, then? It's really, this is really what they said. There's not a church in town that eats enough. How, how, can they, how can they claim to be bad this and they won't even have a potluck? We're going to start us a church at 1300 South Feasel Street and we're going to eat at least once a month. No, that's not what they said either. Here's what they said. Dorisville needs a gospel witness. They didn't need a better youth program. They didn't need different worship. They didn't need to eat more. Dorisville needed a gospel witness. And on May the 10th, 1910, 117 years ago, these people organized the Dorisville Baptist Church not for the purpose of self-gratification, but for the purpose of the glorification of Jesus Christ and the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I think that purpose is still valid today. Now again, it's just the propensity of I know that's a really big word, and I don't got very many of them. But I know it's a tendency of churches, particularly in the Western culture, it's the tendency of churches to, to exist for the pleasure and for the fulfillment of the membership. But that is not what Jesus ever said about the local church. And so it's important that we have the right motivation... It's important we have the right driving force in our lives for this church. And again, it's something we have to fight for because we have this crazy tendency to forget 
And Paul gave us that motivation. He says, for the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ that drives us. It's the love of Christ that controls us. And remember, what drives us controls us. And so we must make sure that we're driven by the love of Christ. So the love of Christ will control us. And when something controls us, everything we do in in church or individually, corporately as a church, but individually as people, whatever drives us, controls us, then our efforts become about that. We must not, we must not, we must not. We must fight the propensity, the tendency for us to become self-absorbed. That it's about us. And we're going to see in Scripture tonight, it's not. It's not today. It's not. He goes on and says now in 1 John 3.10. Because you kind of go, well, what does that love look like? What does that love look like? Well, John wrote about the Father's love in 1 John 3.10. He says, see what kind of love. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. The kind of love, the love of Christ that constrains us, that drives us, that controls us, that kind of love is a love that has the ability to cause us to be born again. He doesn't do a renovation. He doesn't do a remodel job. When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they have the ability through, the, through God to be born again. To change, listen, 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 to change our spiritual DNA. See, the deal is this. The deal is this. We often act a certain way and say, after we're born again, and say, I'm only human. That's the way I am. I have an anger issue. I have a mouth issue. I have this issue. I have a heart issue. That would be fine except for one problem. When you got saved, your old DNA was abolished and Jesus' new DNA was put in His place. When you were born again, you were made new. New. And that is just one of the powerful and wonderful truths of God's love. He causes us to be born again. We are children of God. And you know what's amazing to me? It, it doesn't even stop there. Look what it says. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God? And we are? It's just that we're called that. We are that. And we are the children of God because of the new birth. But listen to this. That's God's moral obligation. You know, when, when, I, when I had children... There's a moral obligation as a father and Judy as a mother to care for these three children, Rebecca, Jennifer, and Sarah. There was a moral obligation. But he goes one step further. He says, we're not only born again into the family of God, we're adopted into the family of God. And that's a legal obligation. So, so there's a moral obligation and a legal obligation of God that we are the children of God. He takes us from death unto life. He takes us from darkness into light. He, he takes us from being, we're totally separated from Him. Totally separated to a relationship, a sonship with Him. I know, I know, John 59 says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. We looked at this Wednesday night a week ago. Jesus says, as the Father loved me. And I, said, I challenged the people. I said, can you get your arms around that? Can you even think how much love and what kind of love that must be? 
Well, Jesus says, in the same way the Father loves me, I love you. I love you. Some of you were raised in a home, and you would say these words. I really believe, or I know, I really believe, or I know, that my father loved me. He just didn't show it very well. Some of y'all can identify with that statement. Am I right? Not so with God. God is not a hider of his love. He's an exposer of his love. You never have to doubt that God the Father loves you. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Again, if, if you look at circumstances, that might be true. If, if you let circumstances, you know, if, if you're like the children of Israel, you're out there and it's hot and it's dry and it's dirty and there is no water, you kind of go, God, you don't love us. But all they had to do is look back and they were no longer slaves in Egypt. All they had to do was back to a place where there was a Red Sea and God parted and they went forth on dry ground and God proceeded to destroy their enemy. You remember a couple weeks ago? All we have to do is look at that. All we have to do is look at that old rugged cross. And you'll notice the blood stains of Jesus, if you can imagine with your mind's eye. If you ever doubt that God loves you, just look at the rugged cross where Jesus bled and he died. As the Father loved me, I love you. Abide in that love. That Wednesday night, I picked one of our members out. And I said to that person, I said, so, you live at such and such address. I said, isn't it kind of normal that you go to that address at night? And that, it's you just go where you live. You, you get off work and you go to your house. Doesn't go to Brent's house, doesn't go to my house, doesn't go to Terry's house. No, they go to their address and they go to their home. That's normal. You go to where your house is. Well, when Jesus said, I want you to abide in my love, he said, that's normalcy. Normalcy is that we abide, that we dwell, that we bask in the love of God. And one of the best ways not to get spiritual amnesia is to bask in that love. To bask in that love. To abide, to dwell in that love. It should be abnormal. It should be abnormal. It should be abnormal when we don't abide in the love of God. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen to the old preacher. If we'll just understand, if we'll get in the habit of living in that love, the amnesia genes will shrink. If we will get in the habit of abiding in that love and knowing we're abiding in that love, it changes the way we live, Brent. It changes our, our dynamics and our relationship with God. But we've got to abide in that love. Dare I go to John 3.16, that old worn out, raggy tag verse, being facetious, of course. Can we ever grow tired when we speak of God's love than hearing John 3.16? For God so loved Notice the death of that. That God so loved the world. Notice the scope of that. That he gave. Gave to what? A Roman cross. A dirty manger. A life of poverty. He gave his only begotten son. That that whosoever. Black man, white man, yellow man, brown man. The dude here with a huge sin list. And the dude here with what you perceive as a short sin list. That whosoever believes, not performs in him, should not perish, should not 
spend eternity in hell, but have everlasting life. Wow. That's the kind of love it is, folks. And when, when Paul says, now listen, the love of Christ compels us, that's the kind of love. And I know, I, I was sitting there when Robin was singing that song, and it's one she does so well, and we're all, hoo-hoo, hoo-hoo, I know my Redeemer lives. Will you know that tomorrow at work when your boss is chewing on you? Will you know that this Tuesday when you're tempted to cut loose and unload on someone and not love them and not forgive them? Will you know it then? Because that's when it matters. My friend Donnie Billman in the bathroom. Great discussions happen in the bathroom. Talking about ministry happens outside these doors. This is the fun part. Ministry begins when you exit that door. Someone used to, they, some churches have a sign over their exit door that says, Welcome to the mission field. Here we celebrate, here we love, here we get passion about the love of Christ. That love that, that drives us and controls us. But out there is where it really matters. Out there is where it really matters. That night I read these words, and I'd like to read them again. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small? Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's the love of and why we sit, in case you ever wonder, Dwayne, why do we sit at 1300 South Feasel Street? Why 117 years later are we still here doing this? It's because the love of Christ constrains us. It's not because we've got a good youth program. It's not because we have decent worship. It's not because of this program being good, that program being bad. It's not this. It's not the preacher. It's not. No, it's the love of Christ. And that's the hope of the gospel. I love it when you invite people. You feel compelled to invite people to our church. But I understand when you invite them, we're glad they're here because we get to share Jesus with them. That's the motivating factor. Paul goes on in that last part of verse 14 and says this. Because we judge thus. If one died for all, then all died. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for everyone. Unfortunately, so many will never embrace. That's not a universal salvationism. He, the sacrifice was for all, but so many will not accept that sacrifice. So many will not embrace Him as Savior and Lord. But He died for all. He died for us. He took my place on the cross. And then He says this in verse 15. And He died for all. And He's going to give us a reason. And He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves. When you were saved, when you asked Jesus in your heart, when you believed in Jesus and you turned from your sin and you chose to follow Him, He's saying that when that happened, you should no longer live for yourself. You honestly should not be the center of your universe anymore. 
You should not find yourself at the front of the line anymore. You should not be making demands saying, I want my way. Frank Sinatra famously said, I did it my way. And I don't think it ended well for him. He, did, he died so that we should not live for ourselves. And then, why should we live, Dwayne? Why should we live? Well, he tells us, he says, but for him, we should not live for ourselves, but for him who died for them. In other words, when we trust Christ, part of that surrender process is we now live for Him. We serve for Him. We give for Him. Andy's about Him. Lottie's about Him. Missions, when we go to, go to New Orleans, it's about Him. When we do school spies, Him. All-star, Him. That we should live for Him. Do you see that? I, who died for who? Them. Well, he died for them. Now, notice that. It's unusual there's a different word. Unusual. And, and I was surprised he didn't say us. Because he's talking to, to the church. But him who died for them. But he doesn't say, I think we're included. But you know what pronoun he uses? Them. This whole thing is a reminder. We, if we get it to the end, you're going to see it's a reminder that, listen, that we exist for the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Him who died for them. And there's a whole bunch of thems out in Harrisburg and Sling County and Southern Illinois and Illinois and North America and around this world. There's a whole lot of them who have never heard or trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. What a motivating factor. About five months ago, I preached on the book of Revelation, and I was talking in Revelation, I think it's 21, and it said, whoever, anyone, it was the translation I used, anyone not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast in the lake of fire, which burneth forever. And I said, all those anyones, you know, all those people you saw down partying, a lot of them were anyone. Whoever's not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, not if they're good, not if their grandmother was good, not if, not if you know, they, they suffered along this earth so they get a break. No, if you're not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're cast in the lake of fire forever. And this is a lighthouse. This is a lighthouse of the gospel to this area that we want people to know you don't have to have that fate, that there's hope in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. And yes, we go to Nicaragua and we go to Africa because we are commanded by our Savior to go. And we want to have our part in sharing the glorious good news. We pray for people like Matt and Bethany and we pray for people like Kim and Chris and we pray for people like, like Barnicio and Tom and Judy and Rita and James and Sonia and Jeff and Barbara. We pray for them because that's what we're about That's who we are about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The love of Christ compels us. We give because the love of Christ compels us. We take precious worship time, precious worship time, and spend 10 minutes encouraging you to pray, and I want to make it clear, to get out your checkbook and write checks so that people in North America, including Canada and and Mexico, 
can know the gospel of Jesus Christ through Annie Armstrong. And at Christmas, we're going to do it all over again. And we're going to talk about Lottie. And somewhere in the fall, around October, we're going to do world hunger. And somewhere in there, we're going to do the state. We're going to do Baptist Children Home. We're not afraid to ask for your dollars, not for us, but for them. You rarely hear a message today from this pastor on y'all to give to the budget. You know why? Y'all do a great job. And you do a wonderful job. Judy didn't mention it. I'll tell you. The number one church in the state of Illinois out of 1,000 churches in any Armstrong giving is the Dorisville Baptist Church. That I want a church. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. That's not for our glory. That's to let you know we are making a difference. But we've got to stay focused on the love of Christ that compels us. There's a thousand things that will pull us and separate us from that. And we've got to fight that. We've got to fight that. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Verse 16. Therefore, because of all that, from now on, Paul says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. I even re-looked at this. The last thing I want to do is teach something that Paul's not saying. The Holy Spirit's saying through Paul. But he affirmed, I, it was affirmed what I thought. That Paul says, because that the love of Christ constrains us, because that, that we are children of God, because of all of this, then, then we no longer regard people as we used to. Paul said, I no longer see people like I used to. When you experience the grace of God, it should cause you to see people differently. We should begin to see people as ones who Christ died for. You need to know that. Because in our culture, that becomes pretty hard. In the 50s, you know, in, in, 50s, in the 50s, Bubba might show up hungover from Saturday night when he was drunk at the local bar and stagger into church. In the 50s, that's the way it was. But in our culture, it's different. In our culture... People come in with more tats than Carter's got pills. And if you're my age, you kind of go, ooh. And they put holes in their body where you never thought there would be holes. I thought it was kind of cool when, you know, you got one earring and now they put 27 in each ear. I was talking to a lady the other day and her mouth was open. I said, she has an earring in her tongue. The sexual gender issue is not in New York City, it's here. But I'm going to tell you something. You better hear me clearly. Jesus died for every one of them. Jesus died for every one of them. 
And when we say you're not welcome here because you've got tats or you've got holes or you're having a sexual gender issue, whatever it might be, when we say you can't come here, hear the gospel at Dorisville because of that, we're in deep weeds. When we're more concerned about how the culture is here than embracing the culture out there so they can know about Jesus, we're in deep weeds. Paul said, I no longer regard people as according to the flesh. And then he says something that's kind of surprising. He says, even though we have known flesh according to the, uh, Christ according to the flesh, now we know Him thus. He says, I once was a Christ hater. That's how I used to see Christ. In my flesh, I hated Christ. But then he met Jesus and everything changed. One guy said a testimony here I read not too long ago. He said, the only time I heard Jesus Christ's name in my household was a cuss word. Paul says, a lot of people view Jesus in the flesh, a historical figure, perhaps a good teacher, a religious founder. He says, many people see him thus, but no longer for us. Us being those who are born again. For us, He's Savior. For us, He's Redeemer. For us, He's Healer. For us, He's Emmanuel, God with us. For us, He's God in the flesh. For us, He's our great sender and Savior. For us, He's the heart of of the gospel. For us, he's a sacrifice on a Roman cross. For us, he's the defeater and the victor over death. And boy, did we share that with the Lane family yesterday or this, uh, this Friday. We shared it. Amen. For us, he gives victory. He gives hope. We don't see him as just a good man, a religious leader. We know he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. And he lives today to make a difference in people's lives. And that's The love of Christ. That's what motivates us. That's what drives us. That's what controls us. It must. It must. He goes on and says, because of all that, he says, therefore again, if any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He takes takes the worst sinner or any sinner... (laughs) Because if you're depraved, you're depraved. That's just the way it is. You know, he takes the, the sinner and gives him a new past, a new present, a new future. If any man be in Christ, he's new. He's new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And give me about five minutes here and look at this. This is so powerful. This is, this is our ministry, our mission in the nutshell. Look at verse 16. Now all things are of God. And that's true. All things are of God. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Man was separated from God because of sin. And he takes us and brings us together. He reconciles. In fact, it says that he restores, he restores a friendly relationship. That's really what it means. He calls us those who were enemies to become friends. Before we meet Jesus, I'm sorry, but before we meet Jesus, the Bible says it clearly teaches that we're enemies of God. But God, through His love, gives us the opportunity through His Son, Jesus Christ, to once again become the friends of God. How powerful is that? He reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. 
And then he's given to us. Look around at your neighbor. Look, look to your left. You're still looking at me. Look to your left. Look to your right. He's given to us. Not just ordained preachers. Not hired holy men. Not guys who are deacons. Not just guys who are trustees. Not just Sunday school teachers. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given to us the task of sharing reconciliation. He's given to the Dorisville Baptist Church, the Dorisville Baptist Church, the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, he, he wants to make sure we get it. That is, that God was in Christ, that's the incarnation, God was in Christ, reconciling the world, that's the restoration of relationships, by grace, through faith, and through Jesus Christ, reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Debt paid in full. If you're sitting here today and you're going, you don't know me, preacher. You don't know what I did last night. You don't know how big my sin list is. No, but God does. And I want to tell you something. His grace is sufficient. You ain't, you ain't, you ain't got nothing on God's grace. You can live a thousand years and sin every day up to the maximum. His grace is sufficient. And he says, when we trust Christ, paid in full. Not imputing, not charging their trespasses to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's given to us, individually and corporately, the ministry of reconciliation. Now here's the deal. Once you experience grace, you must share grace. Once you experience grace, you've got to share grace. Once you experience love, you've got to share love. You can't hold it in. It's like when you drink a big old Diet Coke on a hot day. You've got to let it out. That's the closest thing to humor you're going to get. I'm telling you, once you experience amazing grace and God's amazing love, it's just got to ooze out of you somewhere. And He's entrusted us with this ministry of reconciliation. That is our task. And I'm telling you, Satan will fight it hook, line, and sinker. And he'll do everything he can to make sure that we think it's about us. Because if we're thinking it's about us, we're not thinking about them. If we're thinking it's about us, we're not thinking about him. And I'm going to be real candid with you. I'm going to say something I said in private to a couple of guys. I said, I'm worried we're losing our identity. I'm worried we're losing as doors fill our identity. I'm worried that we're becoming more about us than them. And when that happens, we become like 95% of the other churches in the world, and especially in America. God has always made Dorisville a special church. And what did I just say? Did you hear that? God made Dorisville a special church. And what, made, what makes Dorisville special is our response to Him. Our finances... Our serving, 
our ministries, all about him and them, I think God's honored and blessed that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how the how it happened. I'm not sure how the children of Israel woke up one day and say, we're tired of this manna, or there's no water, or why'd you bring us out of here? And then they said those, those horrible words, Egypt was better than this. I'm not sure how that happened. I'm not sure how it happens in churches when one day we wake up and go, we're not who we were, or who we should be. I don't know how that happens. But I know this. If my Savior cared enough on the night before they nailed him to that to tell the boys, y'all need to remember, it must be pretty important. So when you're this week and, and this week and this life and this months and, and later on, as you're going through life, as you're doing your thing and you have that propensity to say, yeah, but what about me? Or why can't we do that? Just remember Jesus and just remember the Lord's Supper. And remember when he gave the bread and the juice and said, do this when you drink it in remembrance of me, me, me. What Dorsville is and what Dorsville has is too precious to ever, ever lose. And there's an enemy who wants it badly. The love of Christ compels us. Let's pray. Father, I, I want to thank you for the privilege of sharing these words today. Father, I want to thank you for the time that you've given me here at Dorsville. I want to thank you, Father, for the folks in 1910 who did not start a church based on some personal need, but a need to share the gospel. And that DNA has been a part of our church for 117 years. And may we guard that with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. Father, may we be driven by the love of Christ. And may that drive us and control us. So that our priorities, our calendars, our time, uh, everything that we are is driven and controlled by that love. And that will cause us to give so missions can go. It will cause us to serve so we can give away and love those who are outside the community of Christ that will cause us to share the gospel every opportunity we get. Now, Lord, if there is someone here, if there's someone here who has never trusted Christ, who maybe you brought them here today for this very reason, to, to see what it's all about, that's not about being religious, it's about having Jesus. My friend Brent will be standing down here. Lord, please bring them to the front. Calls them, just leave their seat and come down and say, Brent, I want to know more about this Jesus. About this Jesus. Thank you, God, again for this privilege. And I pray in your precious name.